Welcome to Time Out with the School of Sports Sciences in the WVU College of Applied Human Sciences. These are things that attract kids to the sport. So I think that's how you fall in love with it. It's you're doing fun things with your friends. From a coaching perspective, that's always stuck with me. What in terms of the what stuck the idea about how the he idea of feel you know, how he yeah like, how how do my how do I make my players feel at, at those young ages like do do they want to come to the back to the rink do they want to be around do they want am I creating the environment for them to to thrive like that because it wasn't him telling us what to do all the time he, he gave us a lot of autonomy but um, he was always there in a supporting fashion um, they, they were really unique and. Again, he was an exceptional coach. Find a way to connect from a human side of things. I think that's probably the biggest, one of the biggest things for, for kids feeling a part of it. The first thing always in the back of my head is, is kids don't sign up to work on ice hockey. They sign up to play ice hockey. My name is Dr. Peter McGahee and I'll be the host today. I'm pleased to be joined by Ken Martell. Ken is the Senior Director of Player and Coach Development for USA Hockey. Our conversation today is going to center around creating a positive youth sport environment with a real focus on our grassroots and high school levels. Ken, welcome to the show. Let's go. I really appreciate you joining us on the podcast today. And as I just mentioned, Ken is the Senior Director of Player and Coach Development for USA Hockey. Ken, welcome. Thanks, Peter. It's fantastic to be here. I really look forward to speaking to you about uh, creating a positive youth sport environment for our grassroots uh, players and athletes. Ken, how did you fall in love with hockey? You know, it's, I grew up in Southern California, so it's a really an odd place to uh, start playing the game. It's funny, my, my, my father uh, ended up taking me to the local rink. Um, I went on the ice and kind of held on to the, the boards because I couldn't skate. And then I watched a game of little kids right after I got off the ice there. And my dad said, you know, you can go play for that team if you, if you want. Um, and I just looked at the, every kid was involved. Every kid was moving around. It looked, it just looked fun. And then you get out there and it's, you know, it's, it's a, just a completely different environment, right? So you're, you're on skates, you're gliding around, uh, there, there's, there's some physicality to it. Um, I don't know. I just, and then friends, right? I, I think that's one of those things. And we have a unique thing, I think, uh, in ice hockey, because we have all this equipment that we put on our little kids when they go out and play. So there's this locker room component. And some of my fondest memories are hanging out with my friends in the locker room, getting gear on, you know, BSing a little bit with them. And so, so there's this real social component that it's not like your parents just drop you off and you jump on the ice and you go or at, at the soccer pitch or right. you know, we, we have this other social thing and, and your friends play. These are things that attract kids to the sport. So um, I think that's how you fall in love with it. It's you're doing fun things with your friends. Yeah. Fun. It's, ama- it's amazing of how just the idea about getting out, experiencing a sport and in ice hockey, it's a totally different medium. Kids aren't. Oh, yeah. Not all the kids are walking around on the street on the ice. Yeah, that uniqueness, I think, helps a little bit, too. Like, that's captivating, I think. Absolutely. And you mentioned the idea about the locker room and those things. When you see the youngsters at the hockey rink, 
their hockey bags are bigger mm-hmm. than that. Oh, yeah. bigger than are bigger than oh, yeah. them in most cases. That's right. That's right. Awesome. Ken, do you have a story or or a memorable coach that made a real positive impact when you were growing up? Yeah, I do. Um, there was a guy, uh, his name was Dave Warburton. And Dave really didn't know a whole heck of a lot about ice hockey. Um, he was an exceptional coach. He was a baseball guy, actually. And a number of his players that he coached in youth baseball ended up being, you know, major league baseball players. Um, he would go on the ice in his tennis shoes. He couldn't skate, but it, I, and I don't even remember him teaching me anything technically or really tactically about the sport. I just remember how he made me feel. And he, he would joke around with us. He made you feel, you know, unique, um, special. Um, and he, he would push us like he, you know, he would be honest if we were, you know, we're working hard or whatever, but, but always in a joking way. And, um, I just always remember him, how he made me feel. I just loved coming to the ring and being around him. And, uh, so from a coaching perspective, that's always stuck with me. What the, in terms of the, what stuck the idea about how the idea of feel, how he brought, yeah. How, how do my, how do I make my players feel at, at those young ages? Like do do they want to come to the back to the ring? Do they want to be around? Do they want, am I creating the environment for them to, to thrive like that? Cause it wasn't him telling us what to do all the time. He gave us a lot of autonomy, but, um, he was always there in a supporting fashion. Um, they were really unique. And again, he was an exceptional coach because a lot of his baseball players ended up at playing at a very, very high level. That's fantastic. And he, and, and he so went out on the ice players, by, by the way. And again, if you think about, if you think about where you've ended up to your journey, your journey, your journey fills out that. I had three teammates from Southern California that I played with at nine, 10, 11, that he coached that ended up in the national hockey league. Yeah. And you, and you so, think about, yeah, that's amazing. So there is something too. how do our players feel about the experience, right? At that youngest level and think about like, again, we're always talking about the coach has got to be these wonderful things and this incredible knowledge of the sport. That's not what I'm hearing you say. No. He showed up on the ice with his tennis shoes, Southern California, that sort of, that, that fits a good visual for me. It does. Fair, yeah. Fair can, but, but again, the power of how do we make our athletes feel mm-hmm. in this youth sport environment is really important. So when we speak about, and you've mentioned it already, this idea about youth sport environment, mm-hmm. help, help, what does that mean to you? Oh, I, you know what? That's everything. Um, cause everything has some influence on our players. You know, it's, it's not just the coach and the interaction with the coach and the players. It, it the parents are involved in creating that environment. It, it, the club is involved in creating that environment. The, the, the constraints that, that the sport itself, you know, every sport is unique and they have certain social norms and those things that creates an environment. So all these things have influences on the player. And I think that's really difficult for the coach to, to navigate when they're just getting started too. I think it's, it's tough, but for me, the environment is everything that goes into it. It's not just, you know, what we design for our practice and, and, and go on the ice with it's, um, it's everything. It goes back to how do you make your players feel? How, how do they, you know, confidence, um, willingness to try things. Uh, 
you know, and then the, the parents, are they, do, do they get out of hand? You know, think about the competition. Are they yelling? It, does a play, the player or the athlete have more pressure put on them because, because the parents are, are right there too. Like all these things that influence the kids that if we weren't around, hmm. Maybe, 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 maybe it might not be there in, yeah, in the pond hockey rink in the backyard or the soccer field at the up end of the street, th mm. that that environment's going to be similar and quite different at the same time. You mentioned about like, it involves everything. So I'm the novice coach. I really want to do a good yeah. job. I, I've signed, I've been, I've been voluntold. I need to coach my, <laughs> my, 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 my youngsters team. What are some of the biggest yeah. challenges that are facing novice coaches as they jump into this grassroots coaching environment yeah you know it, i think coaches face a lot of pressure um the expectations in our society now uh you you, you put on the hat of coach and uh everybody's image of what a coach looks like acts like is what everybody sees maybe on tv and then they transpose this professional right? Someone that's been doing, that does this for a living, that could paid a lot of money to do this. And they transpose that on the, the youth coach. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. Um, I, I think the challenges are, you know, we see it in our sport because we've grown in a lot of quote, non-traditional hockey areas. So you might be the coach that was voluntold to get out there and you have no background in the sport potentially. Right. Um, and every, most young coaches, I think, too, get tied up in the, well, what's the secret drill? What's the secret, you know, practice activity that I can do? What's the, and really what is the stumbling block for me is the social complexity. Okay. Around, oh. around sport, right? It, it yep. again, the environment is everything. It's the parents, it's the, the coaches, it's the teammates, it's managing the social environment probably has more to do with whether kids fall in love with the sport, stick with it. Um, again, how they feel. So, so I, and I love where we're going with this, Ken. So like the idea that it, to save the, our audience from going and trying to Google the 101 best ice hockey drills, youth drills, yeah, it's, what's this, what, what are some of the, again, what open up, open up the Ken Martell wisdom box and share <laughs> what, what are the two well, or three social components oh, that are so, that are important for a grassroots coach to know? You know, again, it's, you know, use kids' names, um, you know, find a, find a moment, it, 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 as many moments as you can to have some type of one-on-one -on -one interaction with your, with your players, even if it's just, you know, hey, Peter, how you doing today? Um, you know, or Pete, nice play, really like the way you did X, Y, Z on that activity, you know, what, whatever it is, but you know, find a way to connect from a human side of things. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest, one of the biggest things for, for kids feeling a part of it. Um, and then there's always challenges around kids and their interactions. They're, they're just learning how to manage their emotions. They're learning how to, they, they don't have the same coping skills with, with stress that we do as adults. So there's real challenges around the social side of things and complexity there with sport. And I think our jobs to try and help them navigate that. You, know, you can Google 
you know, in, in our sport, you want whatever the, the, uh, you want to work on, you, know, you just Google it. There's a drill for it. There's probably 2 million of them that pop up on the internet. Did you imagine not, if we had had that earlier in our coaching careers, how YouTube would have helped us as a younger coach? We, it's also a, a rabbit hole that you get because there's good and bad stuff there too. Like, you know, it, it's, it's having an understanding of, of those social relationships. I think that, um, end up at the end of the day being maybe more important than the technical tactical. It doesn't mean that technical tactical isn't really important, but I think it's easier for coaches to find the things to do. I think most clubs out there, you know, they, they will have their list of things for the novice coach. Okay. Well, at this age or this, where these players are at, these are the things we want you to work on. And oh, by the way, here's some drills, you know, a coaching director in a club that, right. It, there, there's some support from a, a what to coach side of things. And at the end of the day, the, the how ends up being so much more important. It, it doesn't feel like that for the novice coach, though. No. I think they, 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 they're like, oh, my gosh, the, I've been told to come to the ice rink. I've got to go and survive. What do I do on Monday? Correct. Give, give me something to do. So they're looking for the what. And... Yet it, at the end of the day, the most important thing is probably the how. And, I, and again, I love that and I appreciate that. How, with the concept of fun, mm-hmm. this idea about feeling a part of something, you've talked mm-hmm. about this idea about your coach helped you. Dave was his name, correct? Yeah, yeah. You, 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 you mentioned that Dave created this feeling for you. Mm-hmm. And it really sounds to me like you're talking about this idea about fun, these social relationships. How important is it to create a fun environment for our players so they keep coming back? No, oh, I mean, I think that's the mark of a, a, you, it, the youth coach, right? It's really, do your players all come back and play the sport again next year? You know, if, if so, that's, that's probably a successful season. Um, and a lot of it is, is how they feel about things. So that fun is, I mean, obviously there's some really interesting research, uh, Amanda Visick and, and her group are looking at fun. And if you really delve into that, um, you, the, one of the top three things that across all ages, all gender, like, right, is positive coaching. Yes. Narrow things down. Positive coaching is one of the three clear top factors, determinants for fun. Now there's, there's lots of things that go into that. And it, it, means something different at, at every age, um, in every stage of what kids find fun, but don't kid ourselves. Positive coaching is, is really one of the, the top, top components. So, and I, and I think can like, for me, when I hear what you've described about coach Dave and your wisdom about these social relationships, what we're trying to create these feelings of joy and enjoyment in our athletes you're really speaking to that positive coaching, connecting with the players as an individual. That that's absolutely marvelous. Well, with I, the- look, at Peter, I, I made I made all those mistakes, right? Like I was the young coach that was way over into what the next. So lived all those things, and you go, you know what? At the end of the day, like there's there's a lot of things that you go back thirty years later, and you you go, geez, uh, you run into an old player, and you're almost like. You know, do you do sometimes sorry, sorry, Peter, like, I also have to go apologize for how bad I was as a coach when I first started. But we're all on our journey, right? 
Yeah, and absolutely. You figure out what is more impactful um, as you go. What works for you. So you mentioned the idea about the environment. You talk about now the how and these social relationships, incredible power there, creating this positive environment. I want to take one step down the path about the what. Mm-hmm. Speak to the idea of one of the novice coaches is, is they always are wondered about when they show up, how do we teach the skills or the mm-hmm. techniques of a sport and balance that out with actually yeah. playing the sport? How does that connect to this environment, Ken? Well, for the first the first thing always in the back of my head is, is kids don't sign up to work on ice hockey. They sign up to play ice hockey. So, you know, a lot of what we do needs to simulate play. Um, can we find ways for them to explore their technical abilities um, in a more playful, playful manner? It doesn't mean that if, you know, if they were truly, really struggle with something technically, um, it's okay to maybe go and do something along those lines for sure. Uh, you know, the way I look at it is that the variability is in their instability at, at doing something, right? Yep. But if they can do something within some kind of reasonable bandwidth of acceptability, then you know what? Put them in something where they have a chance to play, to, to use it in, in a more game like environment where they have more autonomy. I mean, if you think of social determination theory and how this wraps into to what we do, yes. um, you know, again, I'm, I'm looking for ways to give my players autonomy, even within their, their working on their technical abilities, right? Yes. Like for us in our sport, we really try hard for our coaches to understand that technique is not skill. Yes. And people tend to look at technique as quote unquote skill. It's not. Um, there is no such thing as, quote, the idealized technique. Look at the best players in the world. They all do, they may do similar things, but they all do it looking very differently. Correct. And what works for them. And, you know, in open-ended sports like ours and, and soccer, you know, and, and lacrosse and some others, um, you know, nothing happens exactly the same way twice. Correct. May happen similar, but never exact. So our players are always having to adjust and adapt. And so training needs to force them to adjust and adapt and right. How, how they, how they interact with the environment. So their technical ability for us is about learning how to interact with opponents, teammates and everything else. And for me, that's, that's fun. Kids like to compete. Um, you know, they like to play. They, so start putting them in more of those environments where we're not always telling them what, what to, to do. It's they, they get to problem solve a little bit, right? And, and USA hockey, the problem solving, the autonomy, the decision making, lots of player decisions is fun. Kids want it, to make decisions now. USA hockey has taken on some real initiatives with sort of to help with this grassroots environment, with how you've structured some mm-hmm. guidance to the grassroots coaches. Could you speak to some of those initiatives a little bit? Um, well, our our ADM, our uh, program for really player development, um, the fundamentals that we look at, uh, it really, for us, we tell coaches there's five elements of a, of a great practice in, in our minds that you can narrow it down to whether they're eight, you or they're 18, you in our, in our world. Um, and 
those are uh, fun. Practice always has to be fun. Uh, there needs to be constant decision-making. So there's that autonomy for our players to make some choices. Practice has to look kind of like the game. Uh, they need lots of puck touches, which just th- for us, that with little kids, it might be just that they do have a puck more often. For, us, for the, the older kids, it's they're, they're just getting more more activity, more reps at what it is that we're trying to explore and then challenge, you know, that stretch. How do we, how do we, you know, that desirable level of difficulty that we want to put into practice so that they're not bored, they're, they're engaged. Um, something that you know, we, we talk about what video gamers, you know, designers have done, right? It's always that challenge that is just a, that level that they've got to strive for, but can, attain it and then i've accomplished it great they get this reward that i've been able to accomplish something we you know up the challenge a little bit and so those five things should be in every practice and i think that's an incredible powerful checklist for all of us who are coaching challenge meeting the players where they are touching the interacting with the puck the ball whatever the golf club whatever Right. Mm-hmm. The idea that there's autonomy, that they're making decisions and making their, their, their choices yeah. and that it's fun. Like we forget, like we're competing, as you mentioned, video games and those things, those things work for a reason. For a reason. And, and, and our, and our sports environments that we create can absolutely create that fun and draw in, draw in the players. There's a quote from Johan Fabry from the Swedish FA is as many as possible, as long as possible in the best environment possible. How does that resonate with you? Uh, I think that's absolutely fantastic. That is, that should be the, the mantra for every NGB out there, every youth club out there, um, especially if you're interested, you know, pe- obviously we want all of our kids to have a great youth, youth sport experience. Now we want them to be lifelong participants in our sport. But if you, are looking at this from a you know a performance end of things like so much of what goes on at the youth level you know we think we know and we have no idea who's going to turn out to be good you know like so give every kid a positive experience um get out of their way a little bit and it's interesting that they'll figure it out so for me that quote is spectacular and and you talk about this idea about giving every kid an opportunity that, that for me, it, it, it speaks to some of the thing that's in the literature about player centered, player focused mm-hmm. environments. And the idea that at the youth level, we really don't know we don't. Who, who's going to come out of the end of the track, no matter how many, how many crystal balls or how many online searches we run. Well, it, you know, and this is, this is common in a lot of sports. I think, um, I, I, I haven't done the research in others to know, for sure, but I'm going to assume that it, it's similar. But we look, because every kid is registered with us, we have the ability to kind of go and look at you know, what teams they played on, what, what clubs they played in, and their path, so to speak. And what's truly fascinating, and it shouldn't surprise anybody, but the programs that are out there, the local programs that are out there trying to aggregate all the best players at 9, 10, years of age and you look then and you say okay well who survived by the time they're 16 and it's it's literally over 80 percent of the kids 
are gone. And when you look at the less than 20% that are still left, um, they're typically not the best players. The best players are somebody that did something else. Yes. And surfaced and grew in some other way and was not necessarily that early bloomer. And you mentioned this idea about, like, let's call it like the idea about all-star teams, cherry picking talent. What's the, what's the, and you talk about the, the attrition for those players. What's the fallacy within the grassroots environment? Well, it's that they need that competition. They need that. My kid needs to be pushed, you know, at this whatever level and you know, anytime you group a team, some kids are going to get more and some kids get less, even if you're trying to make it even. Just That's just the way things work out sometimes. And when you have these competitive teams with people are trying to make it competitive, there's definitely some kids with more and some kids with less. Yeah, but even the kids that get the more, you know, they don't. I just know in our sport, nothing shakes out in the wash till after they all go through puberty. Like it's right. Correct. No. And Ken, Ken, you, you speak to that piece about when we select before puberty, we tend to select the early developers, the kids born earlier in the birth yeah. year. It, 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 it becomes, it's all the kids that we lose out on the ones that just go, ah, you know what? Coach doesn't think I mean, I'm going to go play. I'm going to go play soccer. I'm going to go play some, right. And they'll choose something else. I mean, we always say that kids vote with their feet. They're yeah. not having fun. They're not enjoying it. It's not what they they want or they're not having the experience. Um, they just walk away. And no one pays attention to the ones that walk away. Or we'll have the local club that you know has 800 players in their, their club every year. And they'll point to the one kid that survived. And, oh, you know, we, we had XYZ that made it to the NHL you know, back in 1982. Correct. Wait a second. You know, like, and not that that's the end all be all for, for kids to, but if you have that many kids, running, somebody should turn out. I mean, yes. we, we have this, you know, do our kids, are, do they become better in spite of us or because of us? I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's a really self-reflective question that a lot of us as coaches can ask. Yeah. And sometimes the harsh reality, as you know, again, speaking to our younger selves here. Oh yeah. It's actually despite of us. Yes. And, and, and I can, I can honestly say I've had some players in my past that have turned out and you go, hmm, did I really, was I really part of that? You know, or re- did I really have the impact that, you know, cause I felt like I did. Well, and you always have the youth coach that is out there that's aggregating, you know, players and um, they'll run around and they'll say, well, look at this player, look at that player, you know, that I really, okay. You know, and it's the one, okay, but we'll make another, I'll be you my mortgage. You can't make another, you know? Yes. Right. And, but it's, it's because of me that they turned out that's yeah. that they run around with. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know? And you mentioned before the idea about when they go on these, some of these select teams that they, some get more, some get less in the grassroots environment. Mm-hmm. Speak to the importance of playing time. Well, no one gets better sitting on the bench. Like, it should be kind of obvious, but it's not just that. It's, you know, it's what situations they get put in. Um, you know, do they have a chance to, to learn to fail, to, to succeed, to, you know, to, to be involved? And, you know, in, in our sport, it's the, 
it, it can be really subtle too, you know, because um, we're a sport that changes our players pretty pretty rapidly. So it's why we we want really small roster sizes and team sizes at those younger ages, you know, because the physiology prior to you know their adolescent growth spurt there, like really the little kids they can go forever at, at, at right, a, right. kind of a moderate to vigorous pace there. They're they're fine. So we want to play every other shift. We don't okay. need to worry about them, you know, lactate development and, you know, them fatiguing and just get out there and play. But so for having that experience going all the time, but what you'll see is, is, oh, well, our team went on the power play and all of a sudden the coach is like, well, hold up, Billy. Um, we're just going to leave, you know, Peter and his group out there a little longer. Well, because perceived to be the, the better kids, right? Yes. And pretty quick, Billy goes, yeah, coach, I didn't think I'm very good. Correct. Billy, the, Billy, Billy picks up on how you make him. On how you, a hundred percent. And, you know, so it doesn't take much to, to change how kids feel, what they perceive, what their, their tolerance for risk becomes, um, because they need to take risks. It's where they learn to find boundaries, right? Like, Correct. Can you speak a little bit more about that risk, particularly as it connects to the importance of making mistakes? Yeah. Uh, well, again, we, you know, there's, there's feedback just from the sport itself, right? We don't even have to tell the kids. When they go out and they try something and it doesn't work, they know it. Oop, that didn't work, right? But yes. You turn the puck over and somebody scores, you know, you, typically they start to go, all right, maybe not try that in that situation so but they need to explore their boundaries like they don't become better without um trying things ha- hanging on to the puck a little bit longer maybe than you know sometimes we would want them to right yes. they need to learn how to 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 respond when there's somebody on them in pressure right yes. that's part of sport if they just grab the they just throw it away throw the ball away get, just get rid of it um you know because we've put too much pressure on them, then they're really not learning how to solve problems of the sport a little bit. And we have to be comfortable that, yeah, you know what? They're going to turn it over every once in a while. It's okay. And I, and I think, and and I think they'll, they'll move on as long as we, as long as we, as the coaches provide that, that safe environment for them to discover the next one or play the next shift. Yep. And you know what? We can shape that as well. Um, You know, we can, even our best players, you know, the ones that are trying or they're relying on, you know, certain abilities too much. Like we can start to handicap a little bit. So they look to explore different solutions. You know, how do we, we help them broaden their tool set, so to speak, and their toolbox in different situations. There's lots of things coaches can do. So, And give me one example, Ken, about what a coach can do to help meet those players that may be at a v- variety of skills yeah, I mean, or levels you know, so, within their team. You know, like I might give them different goals in, we might set up a, a small game, you know, a small sided game that they're playing, but, you know, maybe with, with Peter here, I'm saying, well, Peter, um, I really want you to try and look to see if you can X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Right. I like that. I can okay. give that player an extra task that they know you, you know, we know. And yes. every time you can do something or can see that, and, you know, we make a little like, go, good job, Peter. You know, like I, I give them, you know, Intention shapes attention, uh-huh. right? So if I can help shape their intention, 
um, they start to look for different things. I'm, doesn't mean I'm telling them when to do something. Um, they have to see it. They have to perceive it in the moment. But um, I'm, I'm looking to how do I guide their attention or intention, you know? And again, and I think it's a place where that now I can help them. I can meet them where they are. Yep. I can connect with them as an individual. I can guide them in that way. 100%. Again, Ken, we've got a lot of other things that I know that we'll ha- our yeah. audience will absolutely want us to bring you back. However, you've mentioned one group in the grassroots environment that I want to make sure that we hone in on just a little bit. Yep. And that would be the parents. Oh, yeah. How do we, how do we meet our parents in this yeah. day and age? to become better collaborators and better yeah. partners with us. I, I think uh, we try and tell everybody an informed parent is an ally. And I think it's just, it's, it's a difficult thing, right? Again, it comes back to the social complexity around our sport that we talked about, but um, if left in a vacuum, they will assume things about what's going on, what you're doing as a coach, what what's happening. And that could be right on or, more than likely it's way off right so the over communication uh is probably the single best thing that i think coaches can do um because they feel a part of it then too yes when when you talk like no one's trying to to create a bad experience for their kids Um, i believe that they they really want what's best uh and it's how do we interact how do we shape the experience for little Peter to do well, you know? So over communicate is really the, like I, just a simple tactic that I started doing when I switched from our national teams back to coaching kids. I create practice plans. Yes. And so I send the practice plan. I email it to the parents because one, I want them to know that I'm the coach that I'm, I'm organized Look, I have a yes. plan here, right? That there's a lot more work going on behind the scenes than just me showing up at the ice rink and jumping on the ice and winging it. Yes. And so it's a subtle way. And I start, I'll kind of write, write it up in a certain way that they kind of get the message about what we're, what we're doing and right in a lot of respects. And so it's just another little thing. I've already done the work. I mean, I created the Brax plan, just hit send it. Right. It, it helps them. Right. It's just it it expanding your understand. audience. Yeah. They feel a little bit more part of it. Like there's, and there's other ways to communicate on a regular basis, but you know, find simple things that you're already doing the work with and okay. Send it out to them. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned the idea that no parent, the parent's intention, they're not going to, they don't really want to sign their child yeah. up for ice hockey and then create a bad experience. How do you help them? How do you advise those parents to talk about how do you speak to your son or daughter after they come off the ice? How do you, do, do you talk about that post-game conversation you know, at all? I, you know, it's, it, it's the, it's the line, you know, like I love to watch you play, um, that has been shown to be probably one of the most impactful things. So we just tell them, look, they really don't want instruction from you. Like I remember my own dad trying to tell me something and I'm always going, dad, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. right. So it, just, just be supportive. I mean, that's what the, the most important thing. Yeah. The power and impact of, uh, yeah. I love watching you play is so important for our yeah. grassroots players. Again, back Ken, to where you started. Mm-hmm. I love watching you play. Imagine how our grassroots players, how that would make them feel mm-hmm. as they come off that ice or come off the field to be able to come back, to, to come back again the next time. I know our audience may want to touch base with you, Ken. 
Where can sure. they find you? What's the best way to get in touch? Uh, my email is probably the best. It's Ken M at usahockey.org. Awesome. Ken, I appreciate that. We'll definitely reference that in the show notes. Okay. My final question. Mm -hmm. Budget is no object. Okay. You can place a billboard or a sign in every hockey rink all across the country. What's your message? So we actually have tried to do that. And so I like that. Okay. Yeah. So we, we, we have, it's a, we have a banner that we, we, You've given out to a lot of our local associates. Actually, we've had schools. We've had others kind of jump in and say, can we get one of those? And it was a joint thing with uh, the National Hockey League that kind of supported this. But it says in small letters, let them. And then big letters, let them play. Let them have fun. Let them fail. Let them learn. Let them succeed. And then big at the bottom, just let them be kids. And I think that kind of, speaks to the experience that we're trying to create for them um, when they show up at youth sport. So I think it's great. And again, certainly all of those things would certainly create a positive youth sport environments for our young players. <laughs> Ken Martell, thank you very much again for joining on the podcast. We'll have to have you back very soon. Appreciate it, Peter. Take care. Thanks again for taking time out with the School of Sports Sciences in the WVU College of Applied Human Sciences. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest on Time Out, be sure to reach out at cahstimeout at mail.wvu.edu. To keep up with future episodes, visit cahs.wvu.edu. Stay active and be well.